everyone, I'm Shilpa and this is Chic Lotus Controversial Conversations, where we will hear from people of different backgrounds with different experiences and different perspectives on taboo topics, hoping to create a more accepting and less judgmental world. Let's get it started. So we have Chantal here and I'm so damn excited. Seriously, I've been getting so many great questions from people and my, myself. I was like sitting with, oh my God, what do I want to know about dating and what did like what I didn't know before? Not for myself, I'm married now, but it's just really interesting. I remember after my divorce, I was like, what the hell do I do? I don't remember how to date as an adult or I don't know how to date as an adult. And it changes all the time. Mm-hmm. Like be out of the game for five years and come back in and go, what has been going on? Yeah. Yeah. Especially now with apps and online dating, it's so different. Yeah. And they're ever evolving. Did you know that Bumble now has Bumble for friends? You can now Bumble friends. No way. Yeah. That's actually pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When people ask me like, what do you think of dating apps? I'm like, amazing. Dating apps are incredible, especially for busy people. And I, there's so many success stories of people who found husbands, wives, you know, lifelong partners. They got married. Mm off of Tinder, which originated as, you know, know. yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. No, I've heard the same thing from a lot of different apps. So it's really, really cool. You wouldn't come across these people otherwise. In so many cases. Yeah. Yeah. So Chantal, I want to know, how did you even get into being a dating coach? I couldn't not. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) I, I really just couldn't not do it. I've been giving advice, like I, I became a dating coach about, um, what, five years ago, around 2015, 2016. Mm. That was when I branded, but I was doing what I was doing for 20 years before I did that. People oh. were coming to me, like I'm 47 now, people were coming to me in my early 20s, they would call me and they would be amped. And after 10 minutes, they say, I feel so calm. You're so soothing. And I just always seem to be able to pull the right perspective and give the right advice and just be so concise. And over and over, I found myself soothing and calming people. In the beginning, it was generally life advice because let's face it, my love life was shambles too for many years, which is why I wrote No More Assholes. The title came from my lips when I was 28 years old with my hands up to the ceiling in a come to Jesus moment. I, I shit you not, really out loud, no more assholes. By the way, can I swear? I don't yes, know. Yes, yes, go for it, girl. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's just once I figured something out, it seemed like people were coming to me for this advice. Mm-hmm. And eventually I figured out how to be with a good man. And I'll be honest, I got with a good man by error, but I think the universe sent him my way and he became my muse. And I really say he's the template for what a good man is. I fell into a relationship with a good man. And next thing I knew, I was teaching women how to keep a good man because I was in the process of trying to keep my good man by shedding my dysfunction. So Mm. as soon as I shed a dysfunction, people were coming at me to figure out how to shed that dysfunction. I'm like, here's the education. When, as you might know, I was a stripper. And I didn't know that. That's oh. okay. <laughs> well, so there we go. And, and I spent many years in that industry. So there's some more education right there. So once I figured out what a good man is, and I'm a sociologist at heart, I'm a philosopher at heart. I define things and I love that. And I'm an observer and I'm, I'm looking at who this human is that I'm with and his character and his qualities and his behaviors. And I start going, huh this is interesting. And I started observing other people compared to him. And this is how I came up with the two types of males, which is guys who were selfish short-term thinkers or men who were generous long-term thinkers. My husband obviously is a man. And then here I take this back into the clubs and I'm talking to people and figuring out, oh, selfish short-term thinker, generous long-term thinker. Is that what a man is? Is that the difference between a guy and a man or the main difference? Or how do we distinguish Yes. <laughs> so, okay, here's the thing. There's girls and women, men and guys, right? And, and it's the mindset. And the mindset is, I'm not ready for a relationship. I just want fun. That's the guy or a girl. 
or I'm ready for a relationship, or I'm ready for a relationship, I'm ready to take somebody into my life, become a partner and a contributor for many years to come, hopefully maybe till the end of our days. That's generous long-term thinking. And there's nothing wrong with being a guy or a girl. I've been in the position of not being ready for a relationship, but not wanting to isolate myself from the opposite sex and not want to explore and have fun. And that was after having left a three-year abusive relationship from 18 to 21. And here I am at 21 going, I'm going to take a break. And I'm going to go have fun. Mm. And that's what I did for a full year is I would go out and I would meet guys and I'd make out with them in the parking lot. And then I'd say, hey, do you want to come to my place? I do have a rule though, no penetration, but we can do all kinds of other stuff. (laughs) And let me tell you, there's just one that I left in the parking lot because he insisted on the penetration. All the other ones were up for play. And that was fun. Here today, gone tomorrow, no strings attached. It is okay to be in that position where you just want to explore and open yourself up and get to know yourself more and and take a break from dating. That's fine. But when you want a relationship and you are in generous long-term mode, you need to meet somebody and be with somebody who is in that mindset. And we get upset when we choose somebody who is a selfish short-term thinker and we find the compatible and try to bring them into the generous long-term thinking state they're not ready. And when we try to drag them over and they're saying, no, I don't want a relationship. That's when we start saying, what an asshole. He's not giving me what I need. Yes. I'm like thinking back to all my past situations and that's exactly what I was doing. And so that's, so no more assholes is both my experience and my words, but also how you stop calling guys assholes. You stop calling them assholes by using a no kissing for three months dating rule. And the thing is they, and listening to what they say, because if they say, I'm not ready for a relationship, I just, I'm, I just want to see, let's just see where this goes, right? Mm-hmm. If they're saying that, they're not ready for a relationship. So they weed themselves out. And if they're dishonest, they weed themselves out. Because if you're not kissing for three months, selfish short-term thinkers, what would they want when they want it? So mm-hmm. they leave. And what you have left is the generous long-term thinkers. Now you find your compatible partner. Mm. So why three months? That sounds like a long time. (laughs) The honeymoon period. Mm. The honeymoon period will happen regardless of whether or not you're kissing because your body jacks up its chemicals with newness. So the oxytocin levels rise. It gets like mm, extra, like touching is like, ooh, extra good, right? In those first three months. And your serotonin levels, like all those your chemicals that your body creates that make you feel high, and makes you feel like you're on opioids are super produced and you don't have to kiss for that to happen. But when you kiss, you introduce an additional chemical that takes that heightened sense and blows it through the roof. And now you start missing the red flags. The chemical created during a kiss is an aphrodisiac, but the secondary purpose in the female brain, because we're mammals, remember, is to signal that she has completed a selection process and it's time to make that baby. Whoa, that's intense. No wonder why we get so attached. (laughs) That is why, that is exactly why we get so attached. And so no kissing for three months means you don't get attached to somebody you don't know, which is a dumb move. Mm. Avoid the dumb moves. Use a no kissing for three months dating rule. Get to know who the person is. Don't kiss to see where it goes. See where it goes. Kiss the right one. How do you go about saying that? To someone you're just you're dating or you've just met your first date, yeah. whatever it is, without kind of sounding like a prude or just oh, yeah. yeah. So so easy. It's so easy. Because here's the thing: no one can argue against logic. Anybody who tries to argue against logic is just a jerk. And so here's what you say. I like you. And you do this on the first, second, or third date. You do this instead of a kiss. When you feel that kiss is coming because you like him, you can tell he likes you too. You've had one or two or three dates together. It's getting juicy. So you know there's going to be a kiss coming because that's what we do when it starts getting to that point. We seal the deal. You say, I like you. I want to see where this goes, but I don't kiss anybody I don't know because I don't want to commit to a stranger. And the thing is, everybody's lips secretes a chemical that doesn't do anything to them until they come in contact with another set of lips. And that chemical signals to me 
that I've completed a vetting process and it locks me in, which is why if I kiss a guy on a first, second or third date and somebody else asks me out, I say, no, I'm seeing somebody. And that doesn't make any sense to me because now I'm looking for a long-term partner and I need to be sure that the person that I commit to is going to be right for me and we're going to meet goals together. Well, and then you set a date. You need to set a date because men live in a tangible world. Men are logical men are tangible. You have to make it real. You have to make it smart. So then you take out your phone and you go, here's the calendar. Here's the date of our first date. Here's three months out from that date. Forward into your calendar. Show him the physical date. Go, if we still want to kiss on this date, we'll have our first kiss. And did you do this with your husband? Accidentally. Oh, so, yes, accidentally. But then on purpose, when we broke up a couple of times. So I was actually married when I met my husband. So here I am, a married stripper. <laughs> and um, he comes to the club with a friend, gets me for a dance, comes back the next day, takes me for a dance, asks me out to dinner. I say, no, I'm married. I was wearing my rings at the time. And he says, okay, but he keeps coming every Wednesday for two and a half years. So we got to know each other and I fell in love with him. And that is how we ended up in a relationship. But we both brought baggage into the relationship. We fought a lot. We broke up a few times. I learned about that no kissing for three months rule in our first breakup because I read Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man. Steve Harvey wrote that book. And I was like, this is brilliant, this no kissing for three months rule. So we broke up and I started dating somebody. And I said, I like you. I want to see where this goes, but I'm using this no kissing for three months rule because I want to make sure I make the right decision for myself when I choose a partner. My husband wanted me back before we got to the three-month anniversary. We broke up again, another separate time. I dated somebody else, did the same thing. He won me back before I kissed that person. This rule twice kept me in the right relationship because had I kissed somebody else and he wanted me back, I would have said, I'm sorry, I'm seeing somebody. That's so crazy. Yeah. So you would have stopped yourself from going, going back to... Your husband now. I, I would I wouldn't have because I would have committed to that next person. Yeah, when I when I saw your TikTok with three months, I'm like, oh my God, three months. But now it absolutely makes sense. And you're yes. actually probably focusing on actually getting to know each other and connect on yeah. and taking out the physical factor because like you said, it can be so confusing once you have sex with someone, at least for me. I'm like, oh my God, I really care about this person. And then I'm like, do I really though? I look back and I'm like, why the hell did I even like this person? Right. Yes. So, and here's the thing. No kissing doesn't mean no touching. Physical affection is in. What you don't do is kissing in anything sexual after that. And kissing is a sexual act because it does create an aphrodisiac. This is why kissing precedes sex. Mm. But during those three months, if you're not kissing, what are you doing? You're talking. So you're doing a lot of talking. The more you get to know each other, the more you like this person, appreciate them and their effort and what they're doing and how much they're listening to you and applying things that you tell them make you happy. The more you feel that warm, fuzzy feeling inside of you because of what they're doing, you reach out, you touch, you caress, you cuddle, you hold hands, you slow dance, you make it nice and intimate as much as you want. You touch them as much as you want. No kissing, no sleepovers because you want to go home and think about you and carve you into his brain. And I always say to my people, I don't want you to be with anybody who hasn't carved you into their brain. I love that. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. With kissing, is there a similar rule to sex or is it three months for sex too? Oh, hell no, baby girl. Uh (laughs) No, 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 no. He has spent three months earning that vagina. Yeah. If you, if he earns the kiss because you were falling more and more in love with him and who he is and what he does and his character and his personality and his strengths and his generosity and you get to that kiss that that's it like i've had clients um it's this was really sweet actually i had a client go back to the place where they had their first kiss and then from there go back to her place and not leave for a week Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) That's incredible. How do you get into, especially just chatting or on the first date, how do you get away from the small talk? How do you get into the deeper conversations? Mm, I make that easy. Mm -hmm. I make everything easy. That's my Mm -hmm. motto. I make it easy. I wrote a book called No More Assholes. 
And in it, I have what I call 15 discovery questions. And these are questions that you can ask that really delve into who they are and get them to kind of open up about their history and their way of thinking. Like, who was your favorite teacher and why? You know, if you could do anything and be paid for it, what would you do? So it's, it's not difficult to get to know somebody, but you just got to start getting into those questions that really get into their personality. So what are some factors that go into why a guy might not call you back or text you back or ghost you after a first or second date? So if he's decided that this isn't going anywhere for him, we are creatures that seek pleasure and avoid pain. If the notion of letting you down is painful to him, and let me tell you, some guys stay in relationships for too long just because they don't want to see her cry. They can't handle the hurting somebody. And so Instead of disappointing you actively, <laughs> instead of ripping the band-aid off, they're going to take it off really slow as you realize that they're not texting you back, that bastard. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're avoiding the pain of letting you down. So there's that. But there's so many reasons. Like it could be, you know, they broke up with their partner and they went back into the dating field, but then their partner came back and fetched them. It could be that they're seeing a few people, but they're not sure which one is right for them. And so they're just kind of playing the field and you're part of the field. And people will say to me, I was texting this guy and then he ghosted me and screw that. That was his last chance. And I'm like, wait a second. First of all, you don't know what happened. You don't know if he ended up in the hospital for three months mm-hmm. in a coma. You don't know. Uh, and, and it's not, I mean, why should the first text you be, oh, by the way, I was in a coma. Like you're going to believe that. So it's not going to start off the conversation that way. So a death in the family, he was too depressed to reach out to anybody. You don't know what happened. You don't know if he dated somebody else, figured out they weren't as good as you, changed his mind and came back to you. People have a right to change their mind. Mm -hmm. So don't make snap decisions. Being on the other end of the ghosting, the ghosty, I guess, how do you kind of work through that because I remember when it happened to me a few times and I was like beating up on myself and kind of going crazy yeah. driving myself crazy no because most of the time it's really it's not you mm-hmm. it's not you it's just them it's their circumstance it's 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 what they think is compatible and so really releasing the outcome is key there's there's a combination here meditation reduces your stress fear and anxiety if you meditate you physically shrink your amygdala that is fight or flight that's where your stress fear and anxiety comes from when you shrink that part of your brain you physically reduce your capacity to feel those emotions now if you combine that with releasing the outcome i'm not going to build something up in my mind out of nothing And every time I send a text, I will not have an expectation. Expectations are a relationship killer. They're the story you created in your mind and then that you wait for. And when that story doesn't appear, then you are disappointed and you go into a loop of negative emotions. So if you were simply in the moment, I got a text, I will reply in a reciprocal fashion and then I'm going to release the effort that I made and wait for the universe to bring me back my reward for my effort. But your reward for your effort might not even be that particular person. That person might be a stepping stone to the next person. So just keep putting in the effort and release the outcome. And that way you won't be disappointed, but stay in the moment and appreciate what comes. So is that kind of how you get away from or how you heal that part of yourself that's like, oh God, I'm so over dating, these awful, I've just had awful dates back to back. Is that kind of how you keep yourself going? It could very well be, <laughs> right? Like, but, you, but do define your next relationship so that you are crystal clear about what it is that you're working towards. It's kind of like you're, you're going for job interviews, right? Like, are you going to quit because the first one didn't work out? You make, you make looking for a job a full-time job. And you go with the flow. You just show up and you show up and you show up. And eventually the right job says, yes, I want you. So it's the same thing with a relationship is you put in the effort, you show up and you go with the flow. I love that. What does fulfillment look like to your clients? So really it, it's, it's bringing their focus back to themselves. One, because we 
have been trained to look outside of ourselves to create inner satisfaction. And everything that's being spoon-fed to you teaches you that. Because when you watch a, a commercial, it says if you want to feel more secure or more confident or more accepted or more attractive, then buy this product. Mm-hmm. If you are hurting inside, get this pill. Whatever is going on inside of you, I got something outside of you that's going to fix it. And so we keep doing that. And so our view is always, how are you going to make me feel better? And I bring their focus back into themselves. I say the number one question you will ever ask yourself, the most important question in the world is what do I want? Stop spinning on how you're going to fix other people and get them to fix you. What do you want? What do you need? Make it simple so that you become accustomed to asking yourself and answering this question, do I need a glass of water right now? What do I want right now? Bring that answer down to the smallest detail. What do you need? Because sometimes we don't look after our physical body and we need to tap into ourselves and then expand that outwards. You cannot give what you do not have. If you don't love yourself, if you're not feeding yourself, you're not taking care of yourself, you're not healing yourself, you're not meditating, you're not writing three gratitudes for 100 days to put your mind in a positive state. If you don't give yourself what you want from others, it is unfair to expect it from others because it is my number one relationship rule is it's not fair to ask for anything you're not willing to do first. You want to be cared for, care for you. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think that was a problem with me. I was always trying to seek it from other people instead of giving it to myself and you're running away from the work that goes into that. Well, you don't even know to do the work Mm because I mean, when in school were we taught meditation? Absolutely not. (laughs) Right? I call, seriously, this is a lack of education. We need this education in school so that we stop having adults that are in trouble the way I was the way you were. Mm -hmm. We need to have kids who understand how to be functional within a relationship so they become adults who are functional. Monkey see, monkey do. Mm -hmm. When mom and dad are functional, that kid is looking for a functional person and will then themselves have a functional relationship. We got to start that trend now. How did you get into meditation and how are you practicing it? I initially, when I was in my early 20s, I read Out on a Limb by Shirley MacLaine and it blew my mind. All right. So Shirley MacLaine was a famous actress back in the day, 20 years ago. Of course, people with a lot of money can go see the best gurus, right? So Mm -hmm. she got onto a spiritual quest. For the first time in my life, I had to close a book because I was overwhelmed by the information inside. And I had to close it a few times. And I called my mom up and I said, I said, mom, I I read this book that I got off your nightstand and it's blowing my mind and and I'm going to Mexico City on a spiritual quest, which I did. And I spent six months on after buying a one-way ticket to Mexico City and hanging out with all kinds of really weird spiritual people and going to raise in mountains. And my mom, (laughs) it was amazing. It was really amazing. Um, because I was, I was out there for information and the information came Mm. and, my mom said, I got a place I want to send you. I can't tell you anything about it, but I want to send you there. And so she sent me to a three-day retreat where all we did was eat, sleep, learn, and meditate. And that is where I learned how to meditate. Now, I didn't keep it up for another 20 years. I did it sporadically. But then I got into my early 40s and I became very depressed I had a cat that passed away. And while my cat was dying, I was thinking back to my sister's death when I was 17 and she was 21 and she was dying of cystic fibrosis. And as a 17 year old, I was very selfish. I was not there when she died. And as my cat was dying, I was saying to my dad, I will, my my dad, my cat, I was saying to my cat, I will be there for you because I wasn't there for her. Mm -hmm. And when my cat died, I went into a huge downward spiral. And I was there for years. And I went into alcohol addiction, cocaine addiction. I had suicidal ideology. It was really bad. I literally got a dog to save my life because it was 
spring and summer. And I would open my door, take the mail out of the mailbox on the side of the house, look out. I'd, I'd be like, it's such a beautiful day. I should go outside, shut the door, go back on the couch. I was sleeping on the couch. Like I was just in a horrible, horrible state. And funnily enough, in that state, I was trying to start my dating coach business. And all the information that was in my head that I'd been gathering for decades started pouring out all at once, but it was, it was too much coming at one time. It's like a funnel and you're trying to fit big rocks and you can fit one at a time, but they're all coming in and trying to go through that funnel and it was blocking. And I went, Ugh. and I, th I just thought this, I didn't even say it out loud. I thought I need a new brain. And I picked up my iPad to just distract myself for a while. And I go on Facebook and I go flip, 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 and then up pops up an article and it's a Harvard study. And it says eight weeks to a bread, to a new brain or a better brain. And I went, that's what I need. So I read the study and it said people went to Harvard, they did an MRI scan, went home, meditated for eight weeks, came back, did another MRI scan, and the brain changed shape in two places. The amygdala shrank and the hippocampus increased. Hippocampus is introspection and compassion. And I went, huh, less stress, fear, and anxiety, more introspection and compassion. That sounds like what I need right now. So I drew up an eight-week chart and I started meditating and I would write in the number of minutes that I meditated on my chart. And I was really working towards making sure that I was averaging 28 minutes a day like the Harvard study. And I did that for three eight-week charts. And that is what got me on track. Are you kind of sitting there focusing on something or are you listening to music? What do you, how are you doing it? Right. So I say to a lot of people are stressed about meditation because they think you have to not think. 85% of my audience is women. I'm like, ladies, you have a vajaija. I'm not going to be unreasonable with you. This is not about not thinking. We have busy brains. We're built that way. It's not about not thinking. It's about every moment that you bring your focus back to the space in front of your face, the microsecond, if that's how long it is that you're there before you start picking a paint color again, doing a grocery list again. If you're there for a microsecond, you have altered the shape of your brain. If you bring your focus back 100 times, 200 times, 300 times in 10 minutes, those are incremental changes, change on top of change, on top of change, on top of change. Repeat the next day and that's it. You can listen to music. You can do a guided meditation. I meditate on walks. And you don't have to be silent during meditation. You can be intentional. That is still meditation. So I will go back and forth between blank mind space and intentional thought. So with intentional thought, I'll go into gratitudes. Thank you for my body. Thank you for my mind. Thank you for my ideas. Thank you for my inspiration. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my youth. I'll be like, thank you for shit I don't have, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm almost 50, but I'm still saying thank you for my youth because my gratitudes are going into my DNA and altering my body. And then I'll manifest and I'll, I'll be like, thank you for all the people who are buying my books. Uh, I'll imagine money pouring from the sky into a bucket that I'm holding at chest level, but the bucket is already full because that's what manifesting money is. It's abundance. And, and, the money, and the money falling from the sky is pouring on top of the money already piled up in the bucket and spilling over the sides. So you can use meditation in so many ways and it all works. I need to really incorporate more of this into, into my daily routine as well. I didn't realize the actual physical benefits of it. Yes. And meditation saved my relationship. And it saved it a few times because I started meditating, which meant that I wasn't being reactive to my husband anymore. And it took the will to fight out of me. But my husband wasn't meditating. And he, both of us were very depressed, very stressed. I started meditating and started getting myself under control. He came home one day. He said, I want a divorce. And because I've been meditating, I didn't freak out. But what I did do was say to him, is it because you're so stressed that you feel as if you take one thing off your plate, it will help alleviate your stress load? And he said, yes. And I said, can I ask you to meditate for eight weeks and then we'll talk about it again? And if that is still what you want, I will give it to you because I want you to have what you want. And he said, okay. And it only took him a few weeks of meditating and the talk of divorce was taken off the table. With the meditation for you and for your husband, were you able to really work out the other issues that were happening that were causing the stress and causing oh, yes. the stress on the relationship? Yes. And the beautiful thing about meditation 
is you tap into something called universal knowledge. And you'll that when you start meditating, you're gonna you're gonna find that you're saying things and you think, oh, like this, this is original. And then you hear another thought leader saying that same thing, but you've never come across that person. And you're like, how are we saying the same thing? How are so many thought leaders saying the exact same thing? Because universal knowledge is there to be tapped into, but you need to quiet your mind. So once you start meditating and the static, which is you know what static is. It's all of this exterior stuff bombarding your brain and filling it up and confusing you. When you quiet the static in your mind, you start to hear the voice of universal knowledge and it starts to give you the solutions you need to your particular problems. And I'll tell you one of the solutions that it fed me, which is an exercise that I call balancing. Here I found myself thinking about what I needed to talk to my husband about when he got home because I was upset. And then this thought popped into my brain and the words were, what am I not asking forgiveness for? And I went, oh, shit, that's a good question. <laughs> and here's the way that I picture it. You remember the old-fashioned scales and you got the, you got the bar in the middle, you have the bar mm -hmm. at the top, you have the two plates on either side, and you put something on one plate and it tips down, the other one tips up. So here I had put a piece of poo on my husband's plate and it tipped his down. And I went, we got to talk. But then the voice said, what are you not asking forgiveness for? And I went, oh, that one's easy. Uh, the poop in the backyard, about those dishes that I left last night, right? Mm -hmm. I put that on the other plate. Guess what? I felt instantly soothed. And I went, ah, oh, I don't need to say anything negative when he comes home. I can just kiss him and welcome him home. So almost forgiving yourself for for your actions or what could have upset him? Because I, I understood it's not that he didn't see those things, mm. it's that he wasn't saying anything. And so, and, and he, he wasn't saying anything, which wasn't putting me in a position to atone, but I wasn't also going forward and asking forgiveness for it. So it balanced everything out. So do you feel, you know, people who are out there dating in the dating world that the meditation process can really help? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, because too often we're choosing partners out of anxiety. Uh, as, so here's the thing about, we have gender differences. Women tend to feel more insecure when they're single. Men tend to feel more relaxed when they're single. And I'm going to tell you why. This goes back to caveman days. In caveman days, men helped us survive. We looked for the one who did the three Ps, protect, profess, and provide. Because if they protected us, if they said to other, other males, that's mine, don't touch her, which protected us. And if they provided us with food, we had an extended survival. Now, males, on the other hand, doing that extra work took some effort. It took more effort than if they didn't have to feed to other people. So, you know, we kind of, when we're single, we're like, where's my, where's my man? Where's my resource? Um, on a subconscious level, and that creates a certain level of anxiety. And also, we are designed by Mother Nature to pair up. So we have an anxious desire to pair up because Mother Nature wants us to make some babies and keep the species going. So when you reduce your anxiety, you are no longer anxiously picking a partner. And by the way, like attracts like. So if you are in an anxious state, guess what you're attracting? An anxious partner. What are your thoughts on the attachment styles? Uh, I hate labels. I hate labels. I, I don't like let's let's stop complicating things let's stop labeling people so they walk around if I give you an attachment style are you not thinking when do I disclose this to my next potential partner mm -hmm. like a freaking STD no 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 honey let's not do that let's just talk about what you're feeling what you're going through let's get you understanding where that came from let's give you the behavioral tools that are going to undo that simple because it come it all comes from somewhere right like like you said the anxiety that you're feeling nature been... versus nurture yeah so some of it is natural some of it is upbringing let's just understand the natural part let's decode the upbringing let's change our behaviors and make it better how do you protect your heart during dating no kissing for three months is your heart insurance because you don't get caught up in the wrong relationship. You know what the pattern is. Yeah. You meet somebody, he's great on paper. He looks good, he smells nice, he's got a nice job, he's got a nice place. He seems okay, I don't wanna seal that deal because that's what we're taught, kiss to see where it goes. So then we kiss him, we have a great honeymoon period. Those first three months are fantastic, no problem. You know why? Because we miss the red flags because those hyped up chemicals in our body make us miss them. We're sleeping over all the time. 
time. Like we're just, we're, we are all in, but what happens when the chemicals die down in our body? We start to see those red flags. We start to understand that, uh-oh, uh-oh, <laughs> we got some shit to deal with. But if I try really hard, we're going to get back to how great it was those first three months. So then we spend another three months trying to make it like the first three it's not working, but now you're six months in and now you start facing something called an escalation of commitment. I put some money on the table. I don't want to lose that money. If I add a little bit more money, I might win it all back and get what it is that I'm looking for. So then you add another six months. Now you're one year into the wrong relationship. Are you going to be a pit bull and you're going to keep holding on or will you let go? Some people are still going to pit bull it for another few years before they finally let it go. So crazy how we do get caught up in all of that. Yeah. Well, we create a story in our mind and we try to make the story happen. I don't want you to do that. I want you to be grounded in reality. I want you to choose a partner with logic and then have a magical motherfucking relationship. What are some red flags that we need to look out for? When you're dating? Mm Mm-hmm. I got 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've got, I've got 12 signs to look for that distinguish whether or not he's a guy or a man. So validation, does he need validation from other people, especially females? That is a huge red flag. Is he financially responsible? That's a really big red flag. Is he controlling? Does all your time, attention, and money have to be his? That's a big red flag. And while his is distracted elsewhere and you don't get to say anything about it, huge red flag. I think we kind of answered this, but it's more the mental process, I I guess. So I asked people, like, what kind of questions do you want to get answered? So one person says that she has developed a bad taste for dating apps. And how do you move past that and start again? Okay. So first of all, be very conscious of how you are creating your profile because part of what gives women a bad taste is all the guys trolling for sex. So Make your profile picture something that does not show cleavage because guys who are just trolling for sex are looking for something that makes their dick move. And (laughs) if you are too sexy, they're like, oh yeah. And they don't read your bio, which gives me step number two. By the way, do make your, your initial picture you doing something you want to do with your future partner because you want him to see that picture and go, oh, I want to do that with her because that's what I do. So you're looking for like attracts like, right? So you're looking for that like-minded person. So make sure that your bio is set to attract a like-minded person. Now, write stuff in your bio that is descriptive of you, what your life is like, what you want to do with a partner. Keep it all positive. Don't vomit baggage into your bio. And then look at who's responding to you. If there is no indication that they've read your bio because there's no reference to anything in your bio, delete, delete, delete. This is a copy and paste or at worst lazy. Okay. How does one find a partner during a pandemic? Online, my girl. That's exactly what I was going to say, especially with your three, you know, three months, no kissing. You might as well just get to know each other (laughs) or through the phone. And the thing is like go from messaging to FaceTiming Mm -hmm. and see the person communicate because, hey, and, and there's a bonus to doing it online is you don't have to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can actually really read each other's expressions and, and get to know each other. And people are always asking, does the three-month no-kissing rule count if it's online or long distance? And I'm like, listen, if you are getting the time and attention and consideration that you want, it counts. So with, your three, with the three-month rule, what if you're like, oh, my God this is it. Like I'm in love with this person. When do you move from talking to relationship? And at three months. At three months. Okay. So that's what it would happen. That's it. You seal it with a kiss, Mm -hmm. but don't kiss before three months. Okay. And by the way, when you're not kissing anybody, you're not beholden to anybody. You're not committed to anybody, which means you can date that guy and you can date that guy and you can get to know that one and you can get to know that one. You don't have to say, no, I'm seeing somebody when somebody else asks you out after you've just gone for coffee with somebody. You are not committed to anyone. 
And that is the beauty of the no kissing for three months rule. It does not, you're, you're not hyper-focused on one person at a time. Your options are wide open. You can meet anyone you want. You can spend time with anyone you want. You decide who you're going to kiss and seal the deal with. Just don't do it before you've known them for three months. I would imagine some jealousy comes up in those situations. You don't have to, dis- like, basically when you're, when you're telling somebody, you know, the script, right? I like you. I want to see where this goes. I don't kiss anybody for three months because I don't want to commit to a stranger. And I'm really looking for somebody that I'm going to start a long-term relationship with. You've told them what your plan is to find the right partner. You don't have to tell them who you're seeing. That is your business. If they ask, are you seeing anybody else? Are you, you say, yeah, I'm using, but I'm doing the same thing with them because this is the way I'm going to find my long-term partner. Is that kind of how you know, you know, if this guy is serious or not, or, or if this, ma- if it's a man or a guy? Yeah. A hundred percent. And here's the thing. Men are confident. Let's just say that you you're seeing somebody you've, you've been you've been hanging out with them let's call it hanging out you know because that's what it is you're i mean if you can call it dating um but there's no commitment right you're getting to know each other so let's just say you guys are you're having a dinner and he's like you know oh like i'm just curious like are you are you are you seeing other people and you say yeah like i'm i am exploring because i do want to make sure that i choose the right person for myself and he goes oh who is it? When did you see them? What did you do? And you start showing jealous tendency. That is a sign of insecurity. And here's the thing, a confident man who wants to be with you also wants you to be happy and they don't interfere with your happiness. If he understands that this is your way of ensuring your utmost happiness, he does not have a problem with it. And he is going to tell himself, may the best man win. And I'm going to try to be the best one. That's awesome. Do you have an idea or rule of how often, you know, within this three-month period, how often you should be seeing each other, how often you should be talking? As much as you want. As much as you want. There's two rules. No kissing, no sleepovers. Okay. Okay. This is a funny question. They say when you find the right person that it should be easy. Uh, Oh, hell no. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so... My husband and I fought for 10 years. And when I say for 10 years, I mean, even when the lips weren't moving, the fight was still happening. I wrote a book called Say Yes to Goodness. And it is 10 steps to complete and happy you. And one of them is choose a worthy partner. But a worthy partner will challenge you because you must shed your ego in order to have real love with them. So yeah, it's not easy, but it's worth it. Absolutely. I'm with you on that one. (laughs) Yeah. One question is, how do you find a loyal partner? But I almost feel it's like with three month rule, you would, if they're going to stick it out three months and not do it, they're going to be with you. (laughs) That's, I love the no kissing for three months rule because it feeds you in so many ways. It shows you who the right person is. But here's the thing, when you kiss and you get into that relationship and you fall in love, the next phase that hits you is usually an insecurity phase because when you fall for somebody, you suddenly get a fear of loss. I've, I am invested in this person. I am emotionally invested. I don't want to lose that investment. <gasps> Here comes the sphincter clench. Mm-hmm. Here comes all this insecurity. But what you can do if you've used to no kissing for three months rule is look back on those first three months and go, he had opportunity to meet and be with and choose other people. And he made it all about me. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. I love this. At first when I was like, oh girl, this is kind of crazy. And now it all makes sense. I love it. (laughs) When the guy is a player or just looking for sex, he's going to be like, nope, I'm out of here. Peace out. Yeah. And he might, so here's the thing. He might test you. He might stay for two and a half months to see if you're putting your money where your mouth is. But when he gets to two and a half months and you still haven't kissed him and he's understanding now because you are consistent that that kiss means you're in a relationship and he doesn't want a relationship 
he will take himself out the door before hitting that three-month mark. That absolutely makes sense. Do you have any other like relationship or dating advice, any tips on how to bring ourselves to our, our first date? Because I know they're, like nerves is a big thing. Yeah. How do you show up as your best? Confidently. Self? Confidently. Confidence is the most important thing you will ever wear because confidence is the number one most attractive thing to a good man. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. Oh, yes. Right. Oh my God. Let me tell you, it all came to a head for me the day I saw my husband walk. Now he'd always walked behind me when he came to see me at the club because I would lead the way to the back room. And then one night he showed up and I was like, you know the way, you go ahead. And I walked behind him and I went, ooh, ooh, oh, what? Holy crap. Like (laughs) the sexy factor blew up in my mind. I never saw him the same way again. I never felt the same way. It was, that was it. Like I, I was, I was done. I was toast in that moment. That is no going back because of the confidence that he had. There was a grace. There was a swagger. I love, love, love that. Did he know pretty early on that you were, you were <laughs> into him or, and was it the confidence or what was it? It was probably the boobs. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think a combination of character, personality and affection, like it was a lap dancing club. And, you know, like I, I, I had my, my standards, no touching my boobs or between my legs, but I was certainly okay with touch as long as somebody was respectful. And he enjoyed that it was a a close dance so there was that and then my personality and then he came the next day and he asked me out and then came almost every week after that but here's a funny story what you know for two and a half years he was my client and then I realized that the marriage I was in was not the marriage I should be in because we were so platonic we've been sleeping in separate bedrooms for years we had sex every two months. And that was because I was like, um, yeah, so we're married. So don't you think we should be having sex now? It's been two months. And, and then sometimes when we have sex, we didn't even kiss because there was such a lack of intimacy. And it took me so long to realize that, to be honest, because I really was devoted to my marriage. And so I truly had blinders on, but you know, ultimately I did realize that. And then I, I split up with my husband and then I got into a relationship with with my, my second husband, but he was saying, I didn't want to get in a relationship. And so I said, okay. So the joke is you asked me out the second time, but you didn't want to go out with me. <laughs> Before me, he'd been with two women. And the first one was, uh, I'm 20 and I haven't popped my chair yet. Not that he didn't have opportunity. There was a lot of girls that were after him, but he was waiting for the right one. Mm. So he did it when he was 20 with a girl who wanted him and had been after him for a long time. And he was like, I might as well. So he had sex with her about 10 times and then stopped because she really wanted him for a relationship and he did not. And then his next one was his first wife. And then his next one was me. So he was not a player at all. So him asking me out was him intending to start a relationship to see if there was a relationship to be had. That is the only reason he would ask a girl out not to play. So do you have a a rule on how long we wait after relationships to start dating again? No, because sometimes you're in a relationship for too long and it's over before it's over. And so you can end a relationship yesterday and start dating today. The key is to use a no kissing for three months dating rule so that you don't fall into the wrong relationship again. Awesome. Do you have any other advice or message for all the women or all the men who are dating and trying to find their lifelong partner? Your best tool is hope because if you can conceive it, you can achieve it. And what you think is... And if you're telling yourself the right one isn't out there, that is the future you are going to walk into. If you can conceive of the right person, and, and really you have to put yourself in a right state of mind and then define your next relationship and then know that it's out there, then you will walk into it. I love that. Do you recommend journaling or writing this down? You know, imagining oh, your future yes. person or your future relationship? Yes. 
So my, like, no more assholes is the workbook to get you to your next relationship. There are exercises in there. And then everything you need to know about how to assess the people in front of you. I tell people this book is, is the two-time vetting process. Once for mindset, separating the selfish short-term thinkers from the generous long-term thinkers, and then the second time for compatibility. But it also teaches you a lot of relationship tools, like how to resist your impulses, how to calm your own emotions, how to take responsibility for your own behaviors. Do have a last chapter in there because all of my self-help books are seven steps. So it's, it's grounding, which is meditation, clarity, uh, overcoming your fear because, you know, truly to have something better than you've ever had before, you got to step outside your box. And that is unfamiliar. And our problem is we seek what's familiar, even if it's wrong for us. So overcoming your fear, connecting with what is outside of your box, discovering what those people are, creating intimacy with the right person. And the last step is love. But love is a verb. Love is what you do to help the other person be happy. And so in that last chapter, I actually give you relationship tools. That's awesome. So I was going to say, is there, okay, so No More Assholes is the first book to get. And then Well, here's the thing. If your pattern is toxic relationships, go get my free book, which is Fake Love Need Not Apply. And you get that on my website. You sign up for my mailing list. You get it as a free ebook. Um, And this is how how to understand what a poser, a loser, and a predator look like, and scammers too. Like, so posers, losers, predators, scammers. You don't want to end up with those kinds of people. So if that is your history, read that book. And then if you need to get over a breakup, read Come Back Queen because it helps you put your heart back together so you don't vomit your past pain into your next relationship. And then grab No More Assholes and educate yourself on how to find the right partner. Love it. Okay. Mm -hmm. I love that you have so many different books for different stages. I Um, do. And Dating 101, actually, I wrote for our teens so that they don't make the same mistakes we did and they won't need no more assholes because they understand human nature before we before they even get to that point yeah Mm -hmm. and are there any other services that you wanted to talk about that you provide are you still doing the coaching like do you do one-on-one coaching or i do i do do one-on-one coaching and it's it's so fun because like my client is international all my coaching takes place over calls Mm -hmm. and you know, people are like, do I need to like tell you my story before we get in the session? I'm like, uh, you're going to be surprised at how quickly I get to the bottom of this. In a one hour, I don't let people just get lost in the story, which we tend to do. We get all wrapped up in the story and I will interrupt people and cut them off and, and just really pinpoint my questions and be super direct because I want us to be efficient in that one hour. Because before that one hour is over, I want you to understand what the problem is and have tools that'll give you a solution. I always give homework. So pretty much you'll probably be in coaching for not too long, which is cool because <laughs> you get down to it. I want to thank you so much, Chantal. This is freaking awesome advice and a perspective that I haven't heard before. And I am super excited to share it with everyone who needs it because there are a lot of people who are, who are looking for their lifelong partners and who don't know how to get there. Until next time, this is Shilpa on Chic Lotus Controversial Conversations.